It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from Summerfest. It is day nine. We're moving into the final weekend, and I have to say, I think today is really the nicest day of all the days we've been here. We haven't had, at least the days I've been here, during the day at least, any rain. Uh, But today, the humidity is lifted. There's a nice breeze off the lake. The temperature's in the 70s. The sun is shining. In other words... All right, there's no excuse not to play hooky and come on out and enjoy the 51st edition of Summerfest. We wait all year for Summerfest to come, and then, yeah, it seems like it has gone so quickly, and that's certainly the situation here. I'll be with you for another couple hours, though. We've got a lot of great stuff to discuss. First of all, it is amazing to me the different ways that people can look at and process information. And and, and sometimes it's one of these things where you feel like you've gone through the looking glass. The big story today involving this country is that the new numbers have come out um, for June looking at employment. Uh, The estimates, this is the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they, they come out every month with estimates on employment. The estimate was that they thought that America would gain about 195,000 jobs. That was the number that they thought they would gain. Instead, it wasn't 195,000. Rather, it was 213,000. So almost 20,000 more jobs than the economists thought would be created were, in fact, created. On top of that, they went back and they do this from time to time. They revised their estimates on previous months based on new information that comes in. April, um, they had come out and they had said that there was 159,000 new jobs created. They revised that upward to 175,000. May, they also underestimated. They said it was 223,000, and that was a big deal. It was actually even better, 244,000. So a total of 37,000 more jobs than were initially thought were created in April and May, and along with that, you've got the numbers in June, 213,000 new jobs up over um, what the estimates were. Now, the unemployment rate rose slightly. It was 3.8%. It went up to 4%. But, but you might say, well, Jeff, that doesn't make any sense. How can more people be working and the unemployment rate be going up? Well, here, here's what's happening. The unemployment rate doesn't count people who aren't looking for jobs. So if people are just punched out of the the economy, they're saying, okay, we're not searching for jobs, we've given up, well, then they don't get counted. So what this means is, in addition to all these people who all the new jobs are created and all the new people who are going back to work, it means people that were previously just out of the labor force are now deciding to come back in. And that, I know it might sound counterintuitive, how can the unemployment rate you know, going up be good? Well, it, it means, uh, if you look at it in terms of all the new jobs created, it means that people who weren't looking for work are now starting to say, hey, I, I think maybe I can get a job, so they're ending up being counting. Now, if you want to try to find, uh, I guess, a, a little kind of a sliver of a dark cloud, Um, One of the things that the numbers show is that the wage growth, that is, you know, how how much people are making, that was essentially flat. I mean, that's kind of what the numbers are. So if you compare, for example, if you compare household income from one year to the next, average earnings rose 2.7%. So, in other words, you've got the household wages have only gone up about 2.7%, which is around cost of living. So, I guess more people working, 
lots more people working, people coming back into the job market who've been out, and an increase in hourly earnings. I mean, it's going up. Now, I guess theoretically, you know, you'd love to see 5 or 10% growth in wages, although that's going to lead to inflation. But there's no, no matter how you cut it, this is a really, really strong jobs report. And it says that, and it shows pretty clearly that the economy is moving in the right direction. So what happens? And this goes to my point about, you know, you have people who look at things and just, it's interesting the views they have. Nancy Pelosi, uh, Democratic leader of the House, she comes out with a tweet. I'm looking at it now. The June jobs report shows what is at stake. From the brewing storm of rising health costs, spiraling trade uncertainty, and an economy being hollowed out to enrich big corporations and the wealthiest 1%, Americans deserve better than the GOP's raw deal. Pardon my French, but what the hell is she talking about? I I mean, seriously, you've got... More people working, even than the economist, who the economists thought. You've got more people who are coming back into the job market, and you do have a growth of wages. I mean, it's gone up 2.7%. Would you like to have it grow up more? Well, probably, but at the same time, th- this is a really, really good report, and it should make people feel comfortable. Um, the Democratic National Committee Chairman, Tom Perez, former Labor, Labor Secretary, he issues the statement. With slow wage growth, rising health care premiums, and skyrocketing gas prices across the country, Donald Trump's reckless policies are hurting millions of hardworking families. Trump and the Republicans in Congress have been so determined to undermine workers that they held a Supreme Court seat hostage for nearly a year in order to nominate an aggressively anti-union justice who became the deciding vote in last week's disgraceful decision in the Janus case. Oh, for goodness sakes. I mean, again, this is one of those deals where I understand that, you know, people view things through the prism of politics. But by any objective standard, these numbers that have come out today are something that are very, very encouraging. And for whatever reasons, whether people want to acknowledge it or not, you can love President Trump, you can hate President Trump. But right now, these economic numbers, whether you want to attribute them to President Trump's leadership or not, These are very, very strong. They are very, very positive numbers, and people should be celebrating them. Something else that should be celebrated. The Wisconsin State Supreme Court got a big case right. They really, really spanked Marquette University big time, and you know what? Marquette deserved it. We're going to break down what happened this morning and try to make make it make a little bit of sense. That's coming up in just a minute. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest 2018. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Janelle Monet. She's performing at 945 this evening at the BMO Harris Pavilion down here on the Summerfest grounds. It is day nine of Summerfest. Grounds look absolutely great. People starting to come down and enjoy the tremendous weather. Hope to see you down here. All right. Let me back into this topic. Most people um, are what they call at-will employees. What that means is, as an at-will employee, you can quit your job anytime you want. If you're, for example, you're a bartender, and you decide that uh, the guy across the street comes and says, you know, I'd, I'd like you, Gru, I'd like you to come over and tend bar for me. And you decide, hey, he's offering me more money or whatever. You can go to your employer. You can say, hey, I'm out of here. You know, a lot of times they ask for two weeks notice, but you don't have to give two weeks notice. You can say, I'm just done. You wake up one day and you decide, I don't want to work there anymore. You can say, boss, take this job and do you know what with it. You can do that. You are an at-will employee. Now, the flip side of that 
is that means that you can be let go from your job at any time for any reason or no reason, as long as it's not an illegal reason. So if one day your boss calls you in and says, Grew, I'm, I'm sorry, this just isn't working out. Um, you know, here's your box of future endeavors. We'll see you later. Well, you know, you, they can do that legally. Now, there might be an employee handbook that says you get some severance or something like that. But as a general rule, you know, you work at will. You are hired at will. If the employers change their mind, they can get rid of you. If you decide you don't work there anymore, you can leave. No harm, no foul. You can't be fired for an illegal reason. Like, um, I don't know, I've decided that um, I, we've got too many women on the staff, so we're going to fire women or wh- whatever. But beyond that, people come and go all the time. That's the freedom that folks end up having as an at-will employee. And that's what most people are. They are at-will employees. Now, there's a smaller group of people who have contracts. Um, for example, in the industry I work in, if you do what I do for a living, many people, not all, but many people have contracts. I have a contract with Scripps Broadcasting. The contract gives you various rights. The contract says, okay, for you know this length of time, Scripps agrees to pay you X amount of dollars, and you agree to do you know all these different things, and you agree that after the contract expires, you can't go somewhere else. I mean, so people have contracts that kind of change that that employer-employee relationship based on the terms of the contract. But that's really a rarity. People who belong to private sector unions, well, they typically will have a contract with their employer. Athletes have contracts. Um, Some top executives have contracts. And people in academia have contracts. And so it's the contract that governs what happens and what the various responsibilities are. Which brings us to the case the Wisconsin Supreme Court decided today, and it's one that we have talked about from time to time, the case involving John McAdams. John McAdams, and I've I've known John for a, a number of years. He has been a tenured professor at Marquette University um, since 1989. He's been a teacher there, since a professor there since 1977, and he's been a tenured professor since 1989. Tenured professors are under contracts. Now, Marquette University, in my opinion, and this is spoken as a graduate of Marquette University Law School, has changed dramatically over the last several decades. In my opinion, I wouldn't even say there's been a shift to the left. Marquette University has gone from what I would think typically was a sort of conservative, traditional Catholic university to kind of really way out there as far as I'm concerned. Um, It's taken a huge shift to the left a lot of politics and a lot of decisions that I think would surprise, you know, a number of people who thought they were perhaps sending their kids to a, a traditional Catholic sort of university. But anyhow, that's the shift that Marquette has made. John McAdams is a conservative. He is also an agitator, and I say that lovingly. All right, um, he he has for years and years and years been kind of that that gadfly. He's been the you-know-what in the punch bowl who has stirred stuff up. He's seen things going around Marquette University. He's seen the shift to the left, and he has publicized that shift to the left. He's got a a blog that he writes called the Marquette Warrior, which is, um, again, that's a, a tribute to the old Marquette Warriors basketball team that we now can't call them the Warriors anymore because of political correctness run amok. But but what McAdams has done over the years is he has exposed 
foibles <laughs> um, at, at Marquette and the, the shift to the left. And it has, in my opinion, driven a lot of people at Marquette nuts. I mean, just absolutely nuts. And I personally believe that they have been gunning for him for a number of years. You know, that it's, I mean, you, you read some of the stuff that's out there and it's kind of like, well, you know, he, he, you know, he threatens to expose th- this stuff and that's terrible. Well, okay, well, if you're worried about stuff that you're doing being made public, maybe that tells you you shouldn't do it or you should rethink it. So anyhow, he's been this conservative gadfly, and again, I say that affectionately, that's been out there. So what happens is, there's a situation where he finds out a student is in a course being taught by a graduate student. The graduate student is acting, though, as an instructor, for example, and there's a dust-up um, and the graduate student, the professor, the teacher, apparently like tells the student that when the student um, starts talking about how he respects sort of traditional things and doesn't support gay marriage and things like that, the instructor slaps him, him down. In you know, figured literally, figuratively speaking, slaps him down. So the, the kid goes to McAdams. McAdams publicizes this. As a result of this matter being made public. The instructor, who's also a graduate student, she gets all sorts of hostile emails from all over the country. Marquette University, in my opinion, says, okay, we've got him. And they decide that they're going to use this incident as a way to try to get rid of him. And then they've got this whole disciplinary procedure set up, which you, you read the Supreme Court opinion, and it really comes out to be kind of a kangaroo court. That, you know, this is their way to be able to dump John McAdams. Well, McAdams does not go quietly into the good night. He files a, a lawsuit, loses in circuit court, and ultimately today the state Supreme Court ordered him to be reinstated. And it's really a matter of contract law. The state Supreme Court says, all right, he, here's what Marquette's agreement is when you get to be tenured we are giving you your guaranteed a a contract and that contract allows you certain rights and privileges and protections including one for academic freedom and without going into the particulars i've got the entire decision sitting in front of me you know all 120 pages of it essentially the supreme court says that what what mcadams did on the blog was protected it was academic freedom as set forth in the contract, and he's been ordered reinstated, and to the extent he's owed any back pay, he's entitled to that. So now it's going to be interesting to see what happens after, you know, moving forward, because he's clearly not welcome on the campus, but the court has said he, he should not have been suspended or fired or whatever. I think this is absolutely the correct decision as a matter of contract law. I think it's very, very clear that. You know, maybe Marquette could write the agreements in a different fashion. Um, I was actually, I pulled up my contract today, and I was looking at the language in my contract, and I, I think that, you know, there would be circumstances that if I did something like the equivalent of what John McAdams did, I think the company would have a strong argument for maybe how you've breached a term in the contract. But it's pretty clear that the contract he had with Marquette allowed him to do what he did. So I am thrilled. I am thrilled that John McAdams got his job back and has been reinstated. Now, let me say the flip side of this, though, because it goes both ways. You might remember that the name Rhonda Girard. This is the woman who was the Fresno State University professor who, after Barbara Bush passed away, took to Twitter 
and wrote, Barbara Bush was a generous and smart and amazing racist who, along with her husband, raised a war criminal. She also said she was happy the witch is dead. Right. And, and you will remember there was a huge firestorm that developed. And she said, ah, you can complain all you want. I've got tenure. You can't fire me. And Fresno State, while they condemned her remarks, at the end of the day said, yeah, under your contract, you're protected and we can't do anything about it. Now, I, I think if this if this had been Rhonda Girard at Marquette, I don't think because of the way Marquette leans that they would have tried to institute a job action like they did against uh, John McAdams. But but this is the flip side of this. So, yeah, I think McAdams deserved his job back. At the same time, that, that same concept of academic freedom also protects the, this hate speech being engaged in by people on the left. Here's what my advice would be to universities all across the country. It would be maybe you need to look at your contracts and maybe you need to look at the wording of those agreements um, to specify perhaps in more detail what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. I will say this, though. If it's protected for somebody at Fresno State to say that Barbara Bush was a generous and smart and amazing racist who raised a war criminal and you're happy that she's dead, if that's protected... John McAdams exposing something that was going on on the Marquette University campus that they didn't want people to know about, I think that should sure as heck be protected. This was the right decision by the state Supreme Court. Um, moving forward, be fascinating to see what happens when McAdams actually goes back to campus. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1236. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest. This is Michael Franti and Spearhead performing at 10 o'clock this evening at the U-Line Warehouse. We are your one-stop shop for all things Summerfest. Today's live broadcast of the big gig is sponsored by Centerpoint Boat Services. All right, Gru, back in the studio. Have you ever been to Las Vegas? You have not been to Las Vegas. Okay, well... There's a lot of, there's a lot, I'm, I'm a Vegas guy, okay? And you, you wander around Las Vegas, and what you see is lots of, lots of replicas of things. For example, there is a, a hotel called Paris. And if you go inside, they've got replicas of, of various streets in, in Paris. But, and, and some of them are very, very well done replicas. But if you're walking through the hotel in Las Vegas, you're never going to mistake you're just never going to mistake, you know, what's in Paris for the real Paris. There is a hotel called New York, New York. And if you walk into New York, New York, I mean, on the gambling floor and stuff and the dining areas, they've got uh, supportedly, you know, replicas of of New York streets or what it actually is. It's, it's more like replicas of the stereotypical what, what tourists would think would be a New York street. But but they've got them and it's kind of cool and you walk through them. But but you get the idea when you're in Vegas and you're going through these different hotels and you're seeing these things, you really would never mistake, well, what you see in the hotel for the real thing, right? Because you're in Las Vegas, which brings me to this story involving the Postal Service. The Postal Service will come out on a regular basis with these forever stamps, you know, that that people buy, and they will decide different images to put on the forever stamps that you end up buying. Um, maybe it's going to be a flag. You know, they'll, they'll change them up from time to time because sometimes stamp collectors want them. Other people just, just like it to be different. So here's the story. They decide in 2010 that they want to come out with one of these forever stamps and they want to show the Statue of Liberty. And so what they do 
is they start going through, I don't know, some of these photographs of of the Statue of Liberty. They, they start searching this thing called Getty Images, which is a stock photo agency. So they're saying, hey, this would be a good idea. Let, let's put a picture of the Statue of Liberty, particularly Liberty's, Lady Liberty's face, on the stamp. So let, let's go look for these images. So they're looking through the, this, this series of images on Getty Images, and they say, hey, this is a really good picture of the Statue of Liberty. Let's just take it. So they take it, and they print um, a whole bunch of stamp, uh, stamps. Three billion of these stamps are printed in 2011. Three B as in billion stamps showing Labor, Lady Liberty. Now you might say to me, okay, Jeff, I don't get it. What, what's the, the problem here? Well, all right, if you've ever been to Las Vegas and you've, you've been around there, you know that Las Vegas, in front of New York, New York, which is one of their hotels, they've got a fake statue of a fake statue of liberty it's it's a knockoff it's about a half the size of the real statue of liberty and the the guy that designed it it's made out of uh, plaster mud acrylic based coating and and foam like i say it's about half the size of the real statue of liberty and the face on the statue is different um, it, it apparently it, it's similar to the regular Statue of Liberty, but the guy who designed this said um, it was his mother-in-law's face that inspired this this design. And he said, you know, I, I tried to, I, I didn't want to exactly duplicate the Statue of Liberty, so what I did is I made it a little more modern, a little more feminine than the original statue's features. Okay, so you got that. Well, you probably see where this story is going. It turns out that whatever guy in the post office was looking through these stock images. He saw a picture of the Statue of of Liberty, the fake one, at the New York, New York Hotel, and they went with that. Nobody checked it out. Nobody verified it. Nobody noticed it. They printed three billion stamps that has the wrong Lady Liberty on it. Three billion. All right. um, They ended up, ultimately, they kept doing it. Then after 2011, apparently a stamp collector noticed that, hey, you've got a problem here. This isn't, this isn't the Statue of Liberty. This is this thing in New York, New York. The post office continued printing and selling stamps with this design on it until um, 2014. Apparently they sold $2.1 billion worth of stamps. Um, they sold almost $5 billion of these Liberty stamps. Okay, so why is why is this an issue? Why are we talking about it? Well, because the guy who created the statue outside New York, New York, he, he's got a copyright on, on this. I mean, he's got a copyright on this image. So what he does is he goes in and he says, "Hey, hey, wait a second! You've you've wrongly I got a copyright on this Statue of Liberty on, on my image uh, at outside there. You took it. You stole it. You use this to sell." These products, and you know, I I want money for it, and um, it was just uh, federal court just ruled um, earlier this week that the guy who designed the statue he's entitled to three point five million dollars, three point five million dollars because somebody at the post office back in two thousand eleven didn't realize 
didn't realize that hey, I'm putting a sta- putting a, a a face on a stamp that comes from a statue outside a casino in, in Las Vegas, as opposed to the real Statue of Liberty. And what's stunning to me is nobody caught it. Just, just absolutely nobody caught it. No fact checking. No copyright lawyers. Nobody caught it. They didn't realize that this isn't the real Statue of Liberty. And now the post office is going to have to pay three point five million dollars. I would say if that happened in the private sector, heads would roll. I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. But three point five million dollars because you couldn't tell the difference between a fake in Las Vegas and the real thing. All right, it's 1243. When we come back, there's something missing at Miller Park this week. We're going to discuss it. Stick around. It's 1245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Summerfest grounds. The big gig wraps up this weekend. How will year number 51 rank? Gene Miller has your full Summerfest recap at 621 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. I was listening to our our top-of-the-hour newscast, and they they were talking about uh, the the night George Carlin was here and got arrested for saying the seven words that you can't say on television or um, apparently at Summerfest. I understand that there's a lot of kind of mythology that develops about this stuff, and I, it's like everybody claims that they were at the Ice Bowl, and, and really, you know, there were only so many people that could have been at the Ice Bowl. True story, I was at Summerfest the night that George Carlin got arrested. I mean, I remember Arlo Guthrie was the headliner, and Pete Seeger was playing with him, and Siegel Schwal Blues Band, and a group called Brewer and Shipley, whose big hit was one, probably only hit, was One Toke Over the Line. I was there that night, and what was interesting is if you were in the crowd, you, you didn't know what had happened because Carlin got arrested backstage. So it was, wasn't something until you, you turned on the TV that the next day that you found out what had happened. But I, a true story, I remember that evening. I remember my friends that I was here with. And that was when the main stage used to be free and um, at the north end of the grounds and a bunch of benches and then like grass and gravel and things like that. So just uh, it's been amazing that Summerfest has been around for 51 years. Okay. So last night, I'm, I'm at the Brewers game. Very, very good game that they played against Atlanta. Atlanta's a good team. Brewers won 7-2. to two. They fell behind 2 nothing, and then came back, scored the last seven runs. And, and um, the seats I, I have, I, I have a season, a 20-game season ticket pass. And my buddy and I, they're, they're kind of behind home plate. They're, they're actually behind home plate, not kind of behind. And I, all last night, I was sitting there, and as I was looking out at the outfield, there, there was something that was different, and, and I could not, honestly, I couldn't put my finger on it. And uh, the Journal Sentinel has an online story about what it was. Um, the, if you look, you know, if you sit at the stands and, and you look out, there is their signage. Um, for example, there, there's a, a sign that says, you know, WTMJ. There, there's a sign that's, you know, out on, you know, one of in, in the background on the right center in right center field. But you've got you know, Aurora Healthcare has a sign, UWM has a sign. There's all the different signage that, that, that's out there. Um, and what happened yesterday is one of the signs that's there is a sign promoting the, the Potawatomi Casino, big sign out in kind of right center field. That was gone. It was actually it was covered up last night, and that's what I was was missing. I think it got what what happened there. And Journal Sentinel's reporting that that was covered up. So the question then is, why would it have been covered up? Well, who was the team playing last night? The team was playing the Atlanta Braves, you know, formerly the Milwaukee Braves. And at least according to the Journal Sentinel, there has been this this agreement that whenever either the Cleveland Indians or the Atlanta Braves come to town, 
that what's going to happen is that the signage, um, traditional signage and digital signage, is all going to be obscured or, or take it down. If it's a digital thing, they just won't run it on the board. But if it's the regular sign, they are going to cover it up. Potawatomi says this is why they say they do it. The issue of Native American words and symbols being used as team names or mascots is an issue many tribes have advocated against for years. As a business owned and operated by a tribal government, this is a decision we've made to support and build on that advocacy. Now, let, let me be real clear here. Potawatomi is an advertiser at Miller Park. They're one of their partners. So they have every right to say, hey, take down our ads. And this isn't a question of do they have the right to do it. Of course they, they have the right to do it. If they say, hey, you know, we don't want to run you know, our ads on you know, weekends or whatever, they have a right to say that, and they have a right to ask for the thing to be covered up. So I don't dispute that the right they have to do it. But they've decided that as a result of, again, when it's the Indians or the Braves, that apparently this should be a matter of concern to the general population. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the Indians have, of course, that they've moved away from their, their logo, their, their chief Wahoo you know, logo, the smiling Native American face. Um, but, but still, that appears on some things. The Braves... Well, the, the Braves continue to use the tomahawk chop when they do well and things like that. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk about the larger issue here. It's not whether Potawatomi has the right to you know, ask for their signage to be covered up because theoretically, I guess, it shows, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly, I'm not sure exactly what covering up the signage really does, you know, under these circumstances. To me, it's kind of a futile sort of gesture. But what about the larger point? I mean, is, is this a time where in 2018, you shouldn't have the mascot, you shouldn't have the nickname Indians, you shouldn't have the nickname Braves, or is this another example of political correctness run amok? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1251. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1254. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live. It's day nine from Summerfest. This is Luke Combs. He's going to be opening up for Blake Shelton. Uh, the show starts at 730 this evening. It's at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater on what is shaping up to be an absolutely tremendous final weekend for Summerfest. Great lineup all weekend. So if you're looking for something to do, come on down here and uh, check it all out. It is amazing what a job they do at Summerfest. And if you haven't gotten down here this year, you, you really should you know treat yourself and come on down and check it out. Okay, here's what we're talking about now. Last night, Atlanta Braves are in town, formerly the Milwaukee Braves. Potawatomi, huge sponsor, corporate partner for the Brewers. They've got a bunch of signage up in the stadium, including a big sign that's out in right center field. I, I was there last night, and I couldn't figure out what was missing. Well, that sign was covered up. And apparently, I guess I didn't know this, maybe other people did, Potawatomi, whenever either the Cleveland Indians are in town or the Atlanta Braves are in town, Cleveland doesn't come in that much, Atlanta comes in you know, once a year, um, they, it's covered. Um, and, of course, Potawatomi says, the issue of Native American words and symbols being used as a team name or mascot is an issue many tribes have advocated against um, for years. As a business owned and operated by a tribal government, this is a decision we've made to support and build on that advocacy. Well, I mean, I guess the first point is that they have a right to do it. It seems to me that this is 
an incredibly pointless gesture. Um, you, I mean, you want to talk about something completely and totally meaningless. Um, well, that, that's that's sort of it. Here we're going to cover up. We're going to cover up our, our advertising when you know people are in town because what we want to be make it a gesture of protest. But you know they they get a chance to do something even even if it strikes me as being pointless. If they want to make a statement, it, it's I mean they're they're paying for the signage and if they want to cover it up, it's fine. I think the larger point though is is this really the issue that that people want to fight and 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 push? Um, the Atlanta Braves aren't going anywhere. I mean, I don't think Braves, I don't think that term is an inherently racist term. Ne- never never have. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I think it's a term, and I think most people would think it's a term, which is you know a gesture of respect and a gesture of tribute. Yes, the logo does incorporate the the hatchet, but I don't know that that's inherently racist either. And I think you know most of the Braves fans are comfortable with that, and they're not going to give in to outside pressure. The Cleveland Indians have already said that they don't think the term Indian is an inherently racist term, and certainly not the way it's used. I understand that you had that one logo, the Chief Wahoo logo, which you could say, all right, that's kind of a that's a caricature, and I. While I'm not sure I understand why people were offended by it, I mean Cleveland has said, okay, well we're gonna we're gonna kind of phase that out. Although we're not going to give up the copyright for it, but I, I think it's this idea that back in even in 2018, we we can be offended by by just about anything, and we can complain about that. The reality is, I think you have to look at what the intent is. Is this is the term Cleveland Indians? Is that team name or Atlanta Braves? Is that intended to be a, a slur, to be a derogatory comment on Native Americans? And I think the answer is clearly no. I mean, you know, if you're a fan of the Cleveland team or if you're a fan of the Atlanta team, you, you know, that, that team isn't going to use a, a nickname. They're not going to use mascots that essentially, you know, make fun of themselves, that they figure it's a derogatory sort of thing. I, I think, matter of fact, it's a gesture of pride, and that's where it's considered. So if you go out to Miller Park this weekend and you're looking out and you're saying, what's different? Well, like the Journal Sentinel correctly reports, Potawatomi, they do this in, a, I think, a nod to political correctness. They cover up that, that signage. So I, I don't know. Maybe people don't realize that they're a sponsor of the Brewers when the Atlanta Braves come to town or when the Cleveland Indians come to town. Don't know what exactly it is that that accomplishes. And again, it's their right to do it. Does it accomplish anything? Um, I don't think so. Is it a necessary gesture? I think absolutely not. Is it going to do something that moves about pressures Major League Baseball to get rid of these team names? Certainly not. But if you notice that gap in the outfield wall... This is what it's because of. It is 1258. When we come back, President Trump says 75% of the media is downright dishonest. And if you found a bunch of money, what would you do with it? Be honest. We'll talk about it all. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 107. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Summerfest grounds. It is day nine of Summerfest. Absolutely glorious. All right. I need you to be honest. I need you to be absolutely honest with this topic. Here is the story. There's a guy down in Clearwater, Florida, and this is his story. He says about two weeks ago, what he does is he goes to the bank and he takes $1,300 in cash out of his bank account. And he says that what he intended to do with it is he intended to take this cash 
from the one bank account and put it in another bank account. Okay, now I, I, I guess maybe maybe it's a savings account. Maybe you can't write checks on it or whatever. It seems to me a little bit odd that you have to do this in a cash transaction, but okay, it, it's fine. So he takes thirteen hundred dollars in cash out of his bank account. He loses the money. What he says he thinks happened is he took the cash, he sandwiched it between two phones in his pocket. So you got thirteen hundred dollars in cash and, and two phones, and then he says he, he and, but he loses. He doesn't know where he's he's lost the money, right? He he doesn't know what's happened to the money, um, and and he just he kind of chalks it up. Well, he apparently what happened was he was in the shopping center. He was in a grocery store parking lot, and some passerby in the parking lot, found $1,300 in cash. Now, this isn't money in a wallet. This is just $1,300 in cash. I don't know if it was $1,300 bills or 20s. I don't know what the denominations were. But they find $1,300 of cash in the parking lot. Okay, so imagine this is you. You're in the parking lot at the pick and save. You're in the parking lot at the Metro Market. You're in the parking lot of the Woodman's. You're in the parking lot of Sendex. And all of a sudden, you find $1,300 in cash in the parking lot. Now, what do you do with it? Well, here's what happened in this particular case. Somebody, and they still haven't even identified who this was, finds the $1,300 in the parking lot and turns it in. And so then what happens is they, and again, the guy hasn't gone in. The man who lost the money doesn't go in and he hasn't said, I, I think I lost the money here. He just, he doesn't know where he's lost the money. So what happens is somebody turns in this $1,300 to the store manager. What they do is they call the police. They try to put things together. They start looking at surveillance videos from the grocery store and they time it to, okay, when when did the man person turn in the money? And, and they think they've identified the guy. And so actually, they put out pictures. Um, I'm, I'm looking at what they put out. They, they say the detectives for the Pinellas County Sheriff's Department request public assistance in identifying a man they believe accidentally dropped a large sum of money while shopping in Pinellas County. Anyone with information as to the identity is urged to contact this guy. Well, one of the guy's friends sees his picture, you know, on the news or whatever, calls him, and, and ultimately he's reunited with the $1,300. But this whole thing starts because somebody found 1300 bucks in cash, not in a wallet, not apparently not in an envelope, no identifying information at all, just $1,300 in cash in that parking lot and made the decision to turn it in. All right. I want you to be honest. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If that was you, what do you think you would have done? And again, this isn't, it's not in a wallet. It's not in an envelope. There's no, from my understanding, there's no identifying information with this at all. It's just a wad of money, 1300 bucks. Nobody knows who it belongs to. There's no way that you, if you found that money, would know who it would belong to. If you find that dough in a parking lot of a grocery store, what are you going to do with it? Be honest. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because I will tell you, if you you know found it, this guy didn't even know where he lost the money. So if you somebody had found it, put it in their pocket, 
no one would have known anything except the person that found it. 414-799-1620. What would you have done with it if it was you? Um, we'll discuss next. Stick around. If you're if you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 112. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from Summerfest 2018. 115, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is, of course, Blake Shelton performing. He's the headliner at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. Show kicks off at 7.30 this evening at Summerfest. 414-799-1620. Okay, I want you to be honest here. I mean, here, here's the deal. Guy's in a parking lot. Um, I, I don't know if it's a gal. Don't know if it's a guy or gal. Finds 1300 bucks. The uh, story is that somebody had taken the money out of the bank in cash and had just had, had lost it somehow, dropped it um, on in the parking lot of the store, and somebody finds it, and they turn it in. There was no wallet. There was no identifying information. This was just cash. If you put that money in your pocket, nobody would have known you had it. All right, what would you have done? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Josh in Wauwatosa. Josh, you're first. Hello. Hi, yes. I would uh, keep the money, and I would probably launder it to clean it up through a check cashing place with, like, money orders or something, but there's no trace of ID or anything. No, no, they, they would never. Okay, why? I mean, let me, I guess let me ask you. I mean, I understand why. I'm sorry. That was a stupid question. I, I get why you keep the 1300 <laughs> That That was a stupid question. All right. I guess here would be my question. If that had been you, if you had lost the 1300 bucks. Would you have liked somebody to turn it in and try to find it? I mean, would you like, would you have expected that somebody found it, they would have just pocketed it? Or would you like, would you have expected maybe they're going to try to find me and get me my dough back? I would be shocked if someone did actually turn it in in this day and age. So, but I would have been more upset with myself for losing it. And I would be expecting somebody to turn it in. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Josh. I appreciate it. That's that. That was the, the the way I started this. Is I want I want people to be honest because I mean I understand the, the easy thing to do is say, well, of course I, I would have never even thought about keeping that money. I, I'm curious as to what people would do in the real world. Andrew in Waukesha. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, uh, sir. I experienced something similar on the Fourth of July. I went kayaking. And uh, while I was putting the kayaks back on top of the car, I threw my wallet on the car. It was it was wet. I had gotten in the water right. with it. So I became kind of absent-minded, loading everything up, drove off with it. I got a call the next day. A woman had found it on the on-ramp to the freeway. And, wow. you know, it, it had rained uh, that right. night. So things were scattered, and, you know, it was even more wet than it already was. And she was kind enough to return it to me. And I had about 300 bucks in there. Um, right. She even told right. me when she was dropping off the wallet that she was on her way to return a cell phone that she had found in Summerfest that day, too. So, I mean, these kinds of things, I mean, it adds up and you pay it forward. And I think this is the kind of thing. This is the glue of society. It, it keeps things running. Well, it, it is kind of paying it forward. Now, in, in your case, Andrew, at, at least. At least they were able to identify you. I mean, she found the wallet, so I presume it had your driver's license and credit cards and stuff like that in, so so you could track her down. In this particular case, if you want, if the person had decided to keep it, they could have maybe rationalized it by saying, "I have no idea who this money is." I mean, it's sure. you know, keeping the money in your wallet would have been 
sort of tantamount to stealing it. But but nevertheless, you think she did the right thing, and, and if you were in a situation like this, you, you try to figure out a way to get that money to its rightful owner. Well, I once found a diamond bracelet at a Badger game, and there was no identifying markers on it, but I took the time to kind of ask around, and I asked for people, did you lose something? Did you lose anything? Right. And uh, sure enough, there was a woman who had lost a diamond bracelet. So I, I would have definitely uh, done whatever I could to return the money. Okay, let me ask you one more question before I move on to other callers. This sure. is thirteen hundred bucks in this case. What if it's a hundred bucks? <laughs> what you're you're in the you're in the parking lot at, at Sendex or whatever, and there's nobody around, and, and you find it, it's it's four, it's five twenty. So it's it's a hundred bucks. It's not thirteen hundred bucks. How do you yeah. handle that? I tell you what. I mean, you got to return the money. I respect people who work and earn money. And, you know, finding money is great. You know, it's, it's, you know, winning the lottery is everybody's dream. If you play the lottery, you know, oh, I could use that money. But, uh, you know, finding money on the ground is not like winning the lottery. Somebody lost it. And, you know, they probably worked hard to earn it. Um, So you do what you can to return it. What if it's 10 bucks? You know, you donate it to the uh, Goodwill, then I suppose. Okay. 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 No, 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 thanks for calling. I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot because I I think, I mean, at some point in time, even if you say, okay, I mean, I understand, 1300 bucks. That, that's a lot. I, I will tell you, I mean, if I look down on the ground and I find there's a $5 bill on the ground or something, and I'm in a parking lot and there's nobody around that looks like they lost it, it's not like you saw somebody just drop it, there's a $5 bill. I mean, maybe maybe I'm just not a good person, but I, I mean, I got to tell you, I'm not picking up the $5 bill, running in, trying to track down the manager of the store and saying, hey, I found a $5 bill out here. Now, I don't know where that, that line comes in. $1,300 is definitely different. 414-799-1620, how would you handle this. Let's talk to Sue in Oak Creek. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hello. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, you find 1300 bucks just cash sitting in the parking lot. What do you do with it? Well, actually, I have found money several times. The one thing that I really did was I found in a business office a wad of money, and I took it right away to the business manager. And I said, it was $300. And I said, I'm returning this money. And he said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yeah, I do. It could be somebody's rent money. And no sooner did I hand over that money, in busted a a gentleman and said, well, sir, sir, I lost my money for my rent. (laughs) And can you say how much money it was? And actually, it was this. So I was very thankful. Yes. Turn that money yeah. in. But I've also you've, you've, um, found money, loose money in the parking of like old uh, grocery store, like the Century Hano Creek, and I've handed it over um, to the business manager. I mean, it was $10. And I also found uh, one time in front of a, a acquaintance friend of mine $100 that I, okay. not, you know, basically said, here, here's your So $100. you returned, you, you might be a better, you, you obviously sound, Sue, like you're a better person than me. So you, you found 10 bucks and you returned it, you know. I did, I did. Yeah, so see, I, I'm not, thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. My money, and it, so no. if somebody else's, and who knows, maybe that $10 was for, um, for like, milk for their kids. No, I, 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 I no. No, no. So, like, like I say, that's. I mean, obviously, that's what we, we think we all would would do. Um, but I mean, it, it, it. I think most of us would say you turn in the thirteen hundred, but not necessarily. Jan and Fond du Lac. Hi, Jan. You're on WTMJ. Hi. 
Um, what would you do would, if you found it? I, I would keep it and then look for, like, watch ads in the paper or check social media, see if somebody, you know, was missing some money. I guess I wouldn't give it to the store because who knows what they're going to do with it. Are they going to just divide it up between them, you know, uh-huh. amongst themselves? And I have found yeah. money before in the grocery store. It was a small amount, like 30-some dollars. And I took right. it to the service desk, and I said, well, do you want my name in case somebody doesn't claim it? And they said, no, we'll just keep it. So Got it's it. like, I, I guess that way I would just, I would try to find the owner myself. But I okay, would so let, let's, I let, let's play this out. Let's play okay. this out. You, 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 you pick up, it's 1300 bucks. All right. Mm-hmm. You're, you're looking at the newspaper. You're, you're kind of watching Facebook. You're kind of watching the news for a week or two to see if there's any reports of, you know, missing money. You don't find any. So, I mean, there, there's nobody out there. We don't, we don't know who this, this is. There's no stories there. So uh, after, after a couple weeks or whatever, what do you do with the dough? I think I would keep it. I'm going to be honest okay. with you. <laughs> no, no, that's what I want. No, that's no, that, 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 that's that's no, you know, you you'd spend it like a drunken sailor. Okay, no, thank, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate. I, see, that's what I. I'm, this is this is what I find this stuff to be so so interesting on, and I guess it's it, it's. Um, yeah, I, what would I do? What thirteen hundred bucks? I'm taking it into the store for thirteen hundred bucks. I'm taking it into the store for a hundred bucks. I'm taking it into the store, ten or twenty bucks. Um, again, it's, and the scenario is I don't know who it came from. It's not like I saw somebody drop the money or something. Ten or twenty bucks. I, I might be putting it in my my pocket. If that makes me a bad person, so be it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. William in Williams Bay. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff. Love the topic. Love the show. Uh, Thank you, sir. Two. You're welcome. Two reasons why I would return it. Um, one is ethically, I think it's right to return it. And two, um, I had an instance, I was sailing on Lake Geneva, and my wallet fell out of my pants pocket. And two days later, one of the local businesses called and said they found my wallet on their shore. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. <laughs> about a month ago, my dad was driving down the road about a mile from his house. Wallet fell off of his truck. Somebody found it out, saw some money in the middle of the road, picked it up, had my dad's number, called him, said, hey, I found your wallet. And my dad gave him 50 bucks for returning his wallet. Right. Right. I think uh, there's a lot of a lot more than just cash involved when you're f- losing a wallet. You got oh. your ID, maybe your credit card, you, you, so. your driver's license. Your cre- no, I see. I agree. To me, what makes this an, an, a sort of an interesting ethical thing is there there was no identifying information with it. I I agree with you. If you if you find something. You know, and it's, I mean, a lot of times what happens is people, they're making a bank deposit or something and they drop the bag or whatever. I mean, if you find stuff that has an identifying information in it and you decide that you're not going to pursue it, you're, you're essentially a thief, I think, in my opinion. It, it's, you know, it's tougher, though, when you just find the unattached cash and so you legitimately don't know who this belongs to. But, no, you got a great story about paying it forward. Now, thanks for the call, William. And that's, sure. I, I guess exactly. it is, I mean, it is kind of the, the whole idea of, you know, you it is the golden rule. I mean, you you want to you know you want to treat you want to you know be treated like you know you would treat others and vice versa. And I I think that's a factor. I again, it, so think about that. This is I throw this out there just as kind of conversation and thought for the weekend. Um, you know, what what do you think that you would do? Honest, honestly, what would you do with the unattended cash? 
Um, and I, I, I appreciate Jan. You know, she says, hey, I, I try to find the owner. If I could, I would probably keep it. You know, what would you do with that $1,300? And where does the dollar limit come if you found a dollar bill on the ground? Are you putting that in your pocket? Are you $5, $10? Where exactly is that line? I've never found a big chunk of money, so it, it's not an issue. But, I mean, I acknowledge if I, if I found a couple bucks, you know, sitting in a parking lot, and it doesn't look like there's anybody around, I'm probably putting it in my pocket, $100, clearly I'm turning it in. I don't know where the line is in between there. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Bournes performing at the Miller Lite Oasis this evening. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest. It's day nine. Um, I'm just looking at some of the the headlining acts. Uh, 10 o'clock tonight, OAR playing at the Briggs & Stratton Big Backyard. Hooray for the Riff Raff. They're playing at 10 o'clock tonight at the Johnson Controls World Soundstage. I have never heard Hooray for the Riff Raff, but I love the name right there. That's that's it. And, of course, the Love Monkeys, um, who've been around for, like, ever, playing at JoJo's Martini Lounge. Uh, that's at 8 o'clock tonight. It's going to be, uh, the weather's going to be just absolutely tremendous down here at Summerfest. It's beautiful this afternoon, uh, much cooler than it's been before. Matter of fact, it might even be, if you're coming down tonight, it might, uh, like a light jacket or something. I wouldn't have said that earlier on, but it's it's very, very pleasant. All right, here here is the danger that bad guys run into in a concealed carry world. And that is that you never exactly know who might have access to a firearm. So I want to tell you the story. This isn't from around here. This is um, from it, it, it's from the Dallas area, and of course this is Texas, where you figure probably everybody's going around armed. But but here's the deal. Um, this woman, um, she's at a gas station um, by an interstate outside of Dallas. And it's about 10 o'clock at night, and she she goes, and apparently it's not one of these pay-at-the-pump deals or, or whatever. So she, she fills her car up with gas, and then she goes into the Shell station to pay for the gas she purchased. Um, she leaves her two kids, ages two and four, who are sitting in the back seat of the car. So she, she leaves them unattended for however long it takes for her to walk from the gas pump in, pay for it, and come back. Well, in that brief period of time, what happens is there's this 36-year-old guy named Ricky Wright who jumps in her car and and decides to to try to steal the car. Now, uh, the car, I don't know if she left it running or if she left the keys in there. I don't know that from the stories that I have. But he's he's getting ready to pull away. And you've got the two kids that are in the back seat. She comes out screaming, that's my car, that's my car, get out. The guy's not paying attention. So what she does is she jumps into the back seat. I, I think it must be like the passenger side back seat. She's screaming at this guy, get out of my car, get out of my car. She says he, he turns around and, and looks at her. And he's not getting out. He's starting to drive away. So what she does is she says, I reached over the armrest to get to my glove compartment. That's where I had my gun. And she pulls her gun out of the glove compartment and shoots the guy in the face. I mean, it's not funny, but, you know, shoots him in the face. At which point in time, um, he's trying to drive away. He then crashes the vehicle into a fence. She says... 
I'm not a killer, but I do believe in defending what's mine. And then she goes on to say, I hope it woke him up. (laughs) She shot him in in the face. He was arrested, taken to the hospital for treatment. He's going to be charged with kidnapping, trying to drive away with the kids in the car, um, and and carjacking. Um, Mom and the two kids were not injured in the incident. But, of course, she used deadly force. I mean, she shot the guy in the face. She did it knowingly. She did it intentionally. And one of the discussions that's breaking out on social media is whether you know, she went too far, um, whether or not under these circumstances she should, she should have just tried to grab the kids, get them out of the car instead of reaching, pulling the gun, and shooting him. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So that's the circumstance. This guy is stealing her car. Her kids are in the back seat. She jumps into the back seat of the car along with him as he is pulling out. He refuses to stop. She grabs a gun out of the, the glove box or whatever and shoots him in the face as he's in the process. I don't think he's armed, but he's stealing the car. Did she go too far? Do you think there should be criminal charges against her? Do you think she was wrong? Her life wasn't in jeopardy. She could have presumably just kind of grabbed the kids and tried to pull them out, but that's not what she did. She shot the guy in the face. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Appalled by this behavior or... um, Does this mother deserve a medal? We're going to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a second as well. It's 140. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest 2018. 142, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This again is Bournes performing 1015 this evening at the Miller Lite Oasis. Trade wars, tariff deadlines, and June job numbers. Scott Warris is in for John. He walks you through how those will impact your wallet and your stocks. It's coming up at 4.30 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, this lady that we're, we're talking about in this story, um, her her name is Michelle Booker Hicks. Uh, apparently, she just recently got this gun to defend herself. Didn't think she'd be using it just hours later. She'd only had the gun for you know a few hours. Um, she says, I'm not a killer or anything, but I do believe in defending what's mine. She said she only meant to fire a warning shot. Um, but almost wishes she would have emptied the whole clip. She meant to fire a warning shot. She hit the would-be carjacker in the face. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Deb in West Bend. Deb, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi, Deb. I'm kind of I'm don't understand where you're coming from or how you feel about this. First of all, when you have a situation like that, you're guarding your family, your children, you, that happens so fast that how do you have time to think where you're going to shoot the person? She didn't mean to hit him in the head. You're there to protect your family, which I, I give her credit for. You don't have you, you think about how many seconds that she had to do this to save her children. And also, maybe this would give an example to other people who are doing this hijacking carjacking, mm-hmm. other things like this, because, you know, they get arrested, and then the police are put them out on the street. So nobody's taking down this very serious, and I give her very much credit for at least taking the courage to do that. And if you had somebody come in and take your kids or your safety or your house, you would shoot. 
that you're not going to figure out. Oh, I got to shoot him here. I got to shoot him there. You don't have time to think of that. Deb, let me ask you this: If the, let, let's say the kids aren't in the car, same factual scenario. She stops at the gas station. She's pumping gas. She goes in to pay for it. She comes back, and this Joker has jumped in the car and he's trying to drive off. In that case, do you think she would be justified in jumping into the car, grabbing the gun, and shooting the guy? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Because you, you, he's, you're taking it right now as like, if you do this and I can do that. These things, when this happens, and I know from not my experience, but from somebody else, you don't have time to think of all these things. I mean, you're trying to save your family, mm-hmm. and I, I think. You know, this is, and then like I said, it, this has got to stop with, the, they'll get arrested, but nothing, nothing is, uh, they're not mm-hmm. held responsible for, and everybody's copying because they think, oh, well, I'll get off. Well, no, thanks for call, Deb. I mean, there, there's no question. This is, and again, we're, we're talking about something that happened in, in, in Dallas, but I mean, you know, we live in a concealed carry world nowadays, or an open carry world, or whatever you want to call it, and this is, you know, one of the realities that's out there, that are out there now, when you have these bad guys, you, you never know, they really never know who is armed and who isn't, and um, I'm actually, I tell you the truth, I'm surprised some of this stuff doesn't happen more often. 414-799-1620, Gilbert in Menominee Falls. Gilbert, you're on WTMJ, Hello. Surprise, some of this stuff doesn't happen. Oh, Gilbert, I'm sorry, I got to turn. Okay, let's try Jane in Pewaukee. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. You lost Jane? Okay, Jim in Jackson. Jim, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I think her life may have been in danger, quite frankly. I mean, from her vantage point, she had no idea where this guy was going to go, you know, with her and her children in the backseat. Right. And on on top of that, um, you know, she's probably heard about all these high-speed chases, and she just wanted to stop this guy. And that's the only, you know, I don't know how big she was, but I'm guessing that she didn't want to get overpowered by this guy, and she wanted just to stop him and save her children. And I think she was fully justified. Okay, let me ask you the same question I asked the last caller. All right, let same facts except the kids aren't in the car. There's, the kids aren't in the car. It's just her alone. Um, the guy's trying to drive off in her vehicle. If she jumps in, then does it does it change your interpretation or your thinking at all? Um, not at all. Only because uh, um, she doesn't want her kids to be motherless. And again, uh-huh. she had no idea. Where she was going, she was just trying to protect herself, uh, and right. uh, maybe you think twice about jumping in the car. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, okay, thanks for calling. I mean, it, it's sort of interesting. Um, again, I, I like to play with sort of the facts here. I, I will just tell you this as a practical matter. I, I think given the fact circumstances, there's there's no district attorney anywhere who's going to issue charges against this lady. I mean, you've got some, you know, you've got some criminal who's driving off with, you know, is con- con- committing a kidnapping, who's driving off with two small children in the back of your car, that car. Nobody, I don't think anybody is going to say that the mother's actions were unjustified in this case because, I mean, she's she's protecting 
herself, but she's also protecting a third party. In this case, it's her, it's her children, and I don't think there's any question that that's legitimate self-defense. Now, you, you play around with the facts like I was doing with a couple people. That, that maybe it makes it a little bit dicier should you allow somebody just to drive away with your car. But at the same time, I, I would argue there, she's got the right to get in that car. She's got the right to try to thwart the robber. You don't just have to stand by and let yourself become a victim. And when she jumps in the car and the guy refuses to get out, he's the one that's escalating this all. So, no, I, I, I don't have a problem with anything that she did. Let's talk to Diana and Racine. Diana, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. I agree with what you said in your scenario questions for the first two callers when you said, would, this, would, this, would our opinions change if she was alone? And I say absolutely not. She was absolutely justified because, statistically speaking, if you are a victim and you get taken to a second location, you're done. And so I think you respond and you don't let that car move. You just take care of it as the best that you can, whether that's with a firearm in this case or kicking and screaming and yelling and making such a scene that you're not worth it to them, and they just move on. So, absolutely, I even with the second scenario, she was justified. Yeah, yeah, and I can't, you know, I mean, and some people might say, well, she shouldn't have jumped in the car. Well, I mean, th- those people have never had children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or whatever. I mean, if you, you come out and somebody's jumped in your car and is driving away with your kids in the back or your grandkids yeah. or whatever, you're you're doing everything. You're you're not you're not leaving those kids. You're not letting somebody drive off without going after that guy. That's right, and I would hope that I would that that feeling of safety for my children would rear up, and that I wouldn't be frozen with fear. I just give her credit for overcoming that initial fear and that saying, "No way, this is not happening." I now know I can control. I can do what I can, and this guy picked the wrong woman. So that yeah, I, I yeah, I'm trying to pick. Me. I mean, I, I've been. I've actually, I've been, I've been look. I've probably read about a dozen stories on this because I'm actually, I'm even, I'm trying to piece out how this happened. I'm because I'm, I'm imagining that this isn't a deal where like the gun is under the seat. This is a deal where the gun is in the glove box. So she's jumped in the back seat of the car. She's struggling with the guy who's behind the wheel, and she's reaching into the glove box from the back seat to grab the gun, which she then turns around and shoots the guy in the face with. I mean, th- this. This lady had a lot of stuff going on, and she obviously had it had a lot, a lot of. She was pretty together to do all this stuff. That's right, and she actually had the advantage that generally the perpetrator has, where she knew that right. there was a gun there, and so she just followed through and conjured up a bunch of bravery and took care of things. And I just give her a lot of credit. And you know, she's still left with the consequences. She's still left with having to deal with this the fact that she shot someone and that she shot them in front of her children. So yeah. there's consequences that remain for her, but I imagine if she gave her the, if the opportunity presented itself again or the circumstances, she would do it no other way. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling that. No, there, there's no question about that. I'm looking at this one story where they interview her. She said, I wasn't necessarily and worried about my car. I was more worried about my kids. And she said she only meant to fire a warning shot would hit the guy in the face, but almost wishes she would have emptied the whole clip. I'm not a killer or anything, but I do believe in defending what's mine. In this case, my children. I hope it woke him up. Yeah, I think it certainly did. I would be... I, I mean, I, I say this is Texas. Obviously, there's no district attorney in their right mind in Texas, or you would hope in Wisconsin or anywhere else that would think that this woman did anything other than the right thing. And maybe it is another one of these object lessons that's out there to all the bad guys who think, oh, here, 
you know, here, here's this, it's a 36-year-old woman, she's got a couple kids, I can go steal the stuff, she's not going to be able to defend herself. Okay, maybe it's something that makes some of these thugs and punks and creeps think twice before they decide, oh, this is going to be an easy victim. It's 152, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is the Flaming Lips. They're performing 10 o'clock this evening um, at the Harley-Davidson Roadhouse. Be sure to check that out. It's day nine of Summerfest. Um, Kind of getting a little misty-eyed here. This is uh, winding down my time at Summerfest 2018. You wait all year for Summerfest to arrive, and boom, it seems it's gone in just an instant. All right, speaking of something that's not gone in an instant, that's almost mind-boggling to me. All right. It was announced, oh, a couple months ago that there was going to be, the state was going to make available $100 million. Now, that's not chump change. $100 million was going to be available to to schools throughout Wisconsin, and the schools could use that to beef up their security. Remember, this all happened after the, the Parkland school shooting in February um, down in Florida, and, and one of the responses was, okay, well, I mean, obviously we, we want to try to figure out ways to make, you know, schools safer, so we're going to have $100 million, and schools can come in, and schools can apply for, you know, grant money to, to try to do it. Maybe it's going to be metal detectors, maybe it's going to be extra security, maybe it's going to be new doors, whatever. You know, $100 million is around. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a school superintendent or a school principal or whatever, and I heard there was $100 million, and I could get a chunk of it to help make my school safer, I would be on the phone the next day saying, give me whatever forms I've got to fill out. I mean, here, you know, help help me out. I mean, I, I you know, you mean you'll pay for more school security people, or you'll, you'll use this, I can put in metal detector, whatever you want to do, however you decide it's best. I, I, I would be doing that. All right, so this $100 million set aside. All right, it's been going on for a couple months now, since February. All right, over that period of time, there is still almost $45 million that is unclaimed. In other words, school officials have this giant pot of money that is out there, and they've only claimed or put in applications for $55 million, leaving $45 million on the table. I mean, the, I, was, I was driving down here to Summerfest. I don't get downtown as much as I used to. All right, the, the streets of Milwaukee are torn up. We put in this stupid streetcar line that nobody's going to ride, and you know, people are going to get hurt. Bicyclists are already falling off and hurting themselves if they try to ride over the, these, these train tracks that are down through the middle of, of some of the main streets in Milwaukee down here. Well, okay, the justification for, for that was, well, we, we had all this federal money. We didn't want to let this $72 million in federal money go by, so we had to jump in and we had to get it. Now we're going to have the streetcar that we're all going to regret. All right, so you got $100 million that's out there that people can claim for school security purposes and 45 million dollars is still unclaimed school districts that haven't applied for this they're they're either the superintendents are either sleeping or they're completely and totally out of their mind because i don't know that there is a school district in the state that couldn't use some extra money for security 
and, and yet it's unclaimed. And so now they're like, okay, well, maybe we've got to go back to the legislature and figure out other ways to try to spend this money. Well, okay, maybe you should be spending this money on school security, and maybe the school superintendent should wake the heck up. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are broadcasting live from the lakefront. It is Summerfest 2018. So glad to have you with us. Coming up right after the 2.30 news, my producer, Gru, back at the studio, who is producing the show today and always um, telling me how excited. He's looking forward to Pop Culture Corner this week, so um, it's actually going to be a fun one. And, of course, uh, some Summerfest relations. So looking forward to that. That's coming up in just a little bit. The, the big news story, of course, locally has been the state's Supreme Court decision reinstating uh, Marquette Professor John McAdams. So I talked about it during the 12 o'clock hour of the program, and I'm not going to go into it in great detail other than to say I think the state Supreme Court got it right. To me, the, the background of this is Marquette University has taken a decided, real hard turn to the left over the last couple decades. Um, and it's, I think it's been disappointing. John McAdams is a conservative, and I'm going to use the word gadfly, and I say that lovingly. He's been a guy who has been fighting against political correctness, and he has been using his blog to expose um, things that Marquette University doesn't want people to know. I mean, it, it, he, he uses it on a regular basis to expose the leftward leanings of the campus, and he doesn't make any friends when he does it. You know, that, that, there's just no question about it. Marquette, in my opinion, had been looking for reasons to try to get rid of him for years. Then there was this thing involving um, a graduate student who actually wasn't acting as a graduate student. She was an instructor in a class who essentially I mean, told one of the students that, you know, I, I'm not going to tolerate tolerate certain attitudes. How dare you question, you know, gay rights and things like that or gay marriage or whatever. And McAdams exposed her as a result of McAdams's blog post exposing this issue. She ended up getting all sorts of hate mail. It's not like McAdams sent her the hate mail or anything. And anyhow, I think Marquette University used this as an opportunity to try to get rid of a guy that they've been trying to figure out a way to get rid of for a long time. The problem, of course, is that in these contract situations, and tenured professors have effectively contract rights, the language of the, the tenure agreement, I think pretty clearly, and that's what the Supreme Court said today, said that McAdams did on his blog what was protected. It was covered. So this was a contract sort of decision, and I think the Supreme Court got it exactly right. Now, I, I think the lesson for universities moving forward is that maybe you need to adjust language like this. And, you know, we saw this out of Fresno State. That was the example that I gave. You remember there was the crazy professor out of Fresno State a couple months ago when Barbara Bush passes away. Um, she puts out these tweets talking about she's glad the witch is dead and that Barbara Bush was a racist who raised a warmonger, you know, all that type of stuff. And there was an outrage, and, and people, <clears throat> it hurt the university. Donors stopped contributing. Some people decided, okay, we're not sure we want to send our kids there. But the problem was, again, she said, hey, I'm a tenured professor. There's nothing you can do to me. And Fresno State, looking at the language of her agreement, I think concluded that she was probably correct. So to me... I think maybe this is the lesson that if these universities want to have more control over things like this, 
rather than, in the case of John McAdams, trying to make him a scapegoat and fire him for stuff that he was probably that he was clearly allowed to do under the terms of his contract, maybe you got to change the language. I mean, that's how I think this all kind of you know ends up working out. Change the language of, of your contract. I mean, I was just saying earlier, I went back and pulled my contract today, and I was like, there's there is language in my contract that if I had done the equivalent of what the professor at Fresno State did, or arguably maybe even the equivalent of what uh, John McAdams did, I, I think you know there would certainly scripts if they decided to try to terminate me would be on much stronger legal ground. So to me, it's a contract issue. I, I bring this up because somebody just forwarded me the uh, email that the president of Marquette, Michael Lovell, and I'm not a fan of his, came out. Um, Dear members of the Marquette community, this is recent. Recently, the Wisconsin Supreme Court issued a decision in a case brought by a Marquette University political science associate professor. In this case, we stood up for decency and for the right of our students, and we remain committed to upholding those values as a community. Our values do not change when they are challenged. They become stronger, etc., etc. So what I interpret the president saying is, okay, we violated the rights of one of our professors, but we, we, were, we were noble in doing this. We were standing up for decency, whatever that means. Our values do not change when they are challenged. They become stronger. I don't know what that means either. And it is going to be interesting to see what happens when, I mean, the court's order, John McAdams reinstated, you know, what's Marquette going to do with regard to him? And um, ho- hopefully they will do what the court ends up saying. And hopefully they'll maybe take this as a chance to say, maybe, you know, maybe if we have a broader and more diverse opinion and that recognizes that maybe there's some people who, who believe in traditional Catholic teaching and maybe there's even some concern conservatives on our campus, oh, maybe we need to give them a voice as well. be interesting to see how all this plays out. Okay, President Trump was at a rally in Montana yesterday. Montana is one of those seats where um, the Senate seat is held by, Montana is a heavily Republican state, but there's a Democrat who is the state senator, the U.S. senator from that state. So uh, President Trump was in Montana. He won Montana by over 20 points a couple years ago. They were having the rally, and the rally was ostensibly to support the Republican who's running against the, the Democrat. So it'd be interesting to see how all that plays out. But there's this huge rally, and at the rally, you know, President Trump is you know, going through his litany of the different you know, talking points that he has. And at one point, he turns around and he starts talking about uh, the news media. Now, the, the news media is very, very sensitive and thin-skinned. As a general rule, you know, people in the media are very, very sensitive and very thin-skinned when they end up getting criticized. Do what I do for a living, and you develop a thick skin pretty quickly. But many people in the media are very, very thin-skinned, and President Trump goes after them. And some people can say, you know, he, he crosses the line, and he's too aggressive in doing that, and I'll let folks decide that. And, of course, you know, um, what, a week ago plus, you know, had you had the horrible situation in Annapolis where you had the crazy guy who had the vendetta against the newspaper came in and killed five people. Now, that has nothing at all to do with President Trump's commentary on the media. This was somebody who you know, had a grievance with uh, the newspaper going back to 2011 and who, in my opinion, should have been arrested and taken off the street a long time before it. But in any event, President Trump is back and he's attacking the media. Here's what he says. He says, fake news, bad people pointing at the news crews covering his rally Thursday in Great Falls, Montana. I see the way they write. 
They're so damn dishonest. And I don't mean all of them, because some of the finest people I know are journalists, really. Hard to believe when I say that. I hate to say it, but I have to say it. But 75% of those people are downright dishonest. Downright dishonest. They're fake. They're fake. They make up sources up. They don't exist in many cases. They are really bad people. And, of course, this commentary is, especially in the wake of what happened last week, a number of people are just going ballistic. How could you say this? But the, the, I mean, the tagline is, he calls 75% of the media downright dishonest. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, here, here's my question. The, the mainstream media has been a regular whipping boy for the president. He's now thinking, he says 75% of the media are downright dishonest. Do you believe that? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a minute. But 75% of the media downright dishonest. Do you buy that? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from day nine at Summerfest. Um, we're in the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. This is OAR. I'm a big fan of OAR. They're performing uh, right behind me, 10 o'clock this evening at the Briggs and Stratton Backyard. All right, President Trump, um, He's he, he's continued his... Vendetta, crusade, call it what you will, against the media. He's at this big rally in uh, Montana last night. He says 75% of the media are downright dishonest. Downright dishonest. They're fake. They're fake. They make up sources. They don't exist in many cases. They're really bad people. And he's pointing at the media who's covering him and the crowds applauding and things like that. What do you think about this? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Brookfield. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. The last time there was a neutral media was probably either the Eisenhower or maybe the <laughs> Kennedy administration. The well, the media are, was pretty fawning with John Kennedy, as I recall, I think. But yeah, packed with liberals and all the journalism classes, and it's been a downhill slide ever since because uh, you know it depends what you want to report on. If you hide half of the information, you can slant anything the way you want, and it's a constant battle. Is that dishonesty, though? Oh, yeah, I think it is. If you, if okay. you look at the canons of journalism that everybody stands behind, you can't tell me that maybe 40 or 40% might be trying to follow that. But you can't hmm. stick your head above water if you're a conservative journalist. You'll get shot. Um, There's tons of people that keep their mouth shut all the time. That's the problem now. You gotta the uh, the silent majority that Richard Nixon was talking about is out there all of a sudden. Well, no, I mean, thanks for calling. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I see. I don't. Th- I mean, there are some reporters and some institutions that clearly have an agenda. And and I mean, I I read a lot. I take in a lot because you have to do that to be able to do a show like this. I am surprised by the fact that that a lot of the coverage of stuff is so, and I'm going to use the phrase one-sided, and and the truth of the matter is sometimes 
there aren't two sides to an issue. Some, sometimes there aren't. Sometimes that's just the, the reality. The sky is blue, yeah? Okay, you can argue the sky is red, but it's not. The sky is blue. But a, a lot of times, especially on, on the issues of the day, there, are, there really are two sides to the issue. And one of the things that I have been struck by over the years is how... You know, you, you will, whether it's a reporter or an editor or, or generally speaking, a lot of times maybe it's papers that have a, a particular philosophy and the, the other side is never presented. And, and maybe it's because nobody thinks about it. Maybe people just think, okay, well, there can't be another side to this. And that's where I think a lot of the bias comes in. Now, is that dishonest? I, I mean, I understand why President Trump uses that word. In reality, I'm not sure if that's dishonesty or if that's just the, the perspective. But but I'm, I'm just, I'm struck. Matter of fact, I was reading a story. It was in the New York Times. I, you know, I've, I've checked the New York Times. And I, it, it was whatever the issue it was. It was yesterday. I was struck by the fact that there had been no effort to go out and try to find sources who who might present a counterpoint to the issue that was being presented. Now, I don't know if that's dishonest. I don't know if that's the word. But I I think it it does show that lack of balance, which is leading to, I think, some of the lack of trust that you see in the media. And candidly, a lot of that is is self-inflicted. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Steve in Glendale. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you, Jeff? Well, well, thank you. What do you think about this? Well, I don't know if I'd go 75%, but Mr. Trump does have a point. And the media is a very general term. And, and, and within the media, there are journalists. And journalists are supposed to be basically unbiased and report the news. I mean, there are shows like yours and on Fox and on CNN that they, you know, appeal to a certain demographic, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. But as far as True journalism, I, I think there's very few true journalists around. Yeah, I think more and more it, it's gotten into what I would call opinion journalism, which is, I, I think, it, it's. I, I guess if you had to classify stuff like I do, I mean, I, I make no bones about it. I, I have an opinion. Um, but I, I'm starting, I, I've just seen for the longest time, I've seen that bleed over. And I, I, I'll, I'll use the New York Times as an example. I mean, since, since President Trump took over, I don't think I have ever seen more consistent, selective, one-sided coverage. And, and again, just presenting the issues from the perspective of, okay, what Trump is doing is wrong, it's bad, etc., etc., without even trying to analyze the other side of the issue. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who criticizes the president from time to time when I think he's wrong on issues. Oh, exactly. And that's the difference between uh, true news and commentary, which should always be separate. But now they seem right. to be together. <laughs> right. It, no, no. Thanks for the call. No, con- thanks for the call. Steve. I mean, it, it is. It, it's it just it kind of it sort of merges. And, and I think it, it's just it's happened. I, it, it's happened gradually over time. And and is this look, I, 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 there is there's this showtime. I've, I've said this before. Showtime ran this four-part series on, on the New York Times. It's called The Fourth Escape, a Fourth Estate. And it was actually kind of interesting to watch because, you know, it was, it was focusing on how the New York Times covered Donald Trump in the Trump era. And um, it, one of the things that I took away from it, which might not have been the, the takeaway that I think some of the filmmakers intended, I just saw this visceral hatred 
of Donald Trump on the part of the people who were supposed to be covering him. I mean, you, you could just he he at the speeches you'd see the different faces. These reporters are just they're just their their teeth are gritted. It's like they just despise this this guy. And of course, he plays into that because, like I say, typically I, I think you know the media folks in general aren't used to being criticized. They're used to dishing it out without necessarily having to take it, and so that they don't like the fact that then that just inspires and he attacks them more. But it was this like visceral reaction, and and I'm the first to acknowledge that there's a lot of stuff that President Trump does that I think is certainly worthy of criticism. And I'm one of these guys who wishes he would dial back a lot of the rhetoric that I think you know kind of gets in the way of his message and stuff but at the same time i mean i think if anybody would say that there's this objective media that's out there covering him that just isn't true that that's just flat out not true and again when we use the term mainstream media or media you're talking about a broad classification of 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 things and and it's going to vary from individual it's going to vary from network news and cable news to the local news channels you know if you go through a newsroom at at today's tmj4 you know you don't have people with political agendas that that's not the case they're they're covering what they have to cover and doing the best job that they possibly can to you know produce the the content but you know on on the bigger levels whether it's the, the national National publications or the wannabe national publications or the ABCs and the NBCs and the CBS, I, I do think that there's agenda, an agenda. Now, does that mean 75% of the media are downright dishonest? Well, I wouldn't use the word dishonest. That wouldn't be my word. But if if people are thinking that, gee, you know, it, it, it's all a creation of Donald Trump's mind, I, I don't buy that at, at all. And I, I think one of the things that's going to have to happen after Donald Trump leaves office, I think maybe, you know, the, the media really has to step back and start doing an assessment of, of where are we moving forward and have have we sort of lost our way as well. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is, of course, Blake Shelton. He's performing tonight at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. Uh, the show starts at 7.30, Summerfest. The weather is just absolutely perfect. And lest I forget, this is our last half hour. At least I'm going to be down here for Summerfest 2018. I do want to extend a thank you to all the folks who've stopped by over the course of the last 10 days. Um, also to my friend Don Smiley and the Summerfest administration. We've got a great venue. It is just tremendous to be able to come down here and actually get paid for talking to you while I get to look out at Lake Michigan. It's just been a wonderful venue, and the folks at Summerfest have just been absolutely tremendous and making us feel at home, and I very much appreciate it. So this is the segment of the program, as I was saying earlier. If you're a regular listener, you know on Friday afternoons, the last segment, we kind of put aside some of the heavy lifting and kind of have some fun going into the weekend. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. Sometime It started off years and years ago when I first started doing the show. We used to call it Friday Afternoon at the Movies, and it was always a a movie-related thing. And then we started expanding it. So sometimes we talk about movies and sometimes books and sometimes sports and sometimes food and sometimes television. Just whatever happens to tickle my fancy at a given time and what I hope will be of interest to you. Well, I've been at Summerfest since last Thursday off and on. And, of course, you, you can't... You can't help but notice all the great music that is at Summerfest. What I will typically do is once I get done with my show, I'll grab a beer and maybe something to eat. Um, uh, Last 
Thursday, I think, a couple of my friends came down here. We spent several hours. I think last Tuesday, it was Tuesday, yeah, my wife and several of our friends came down. We wandered around. So, I mean, it's just a great thing to do. And you find these, these bands, and sometimes they're bands playing original music. Sometimes they're cover bands. But it's just a lot of fun to go and listen to the great music that's out there. Um, as somebody who is a music fan, though... I don't know about you, but what I find happening to me from time to time, and this is from the perspective of somebody who listens to a lot of music, is that there are certain songs that I I actually even try to avoid listening to because they're earworms. And, And I know that once I hear the song, it is going to be stuck in my head for probably two or three days. I'm not going to be able to get it out. I'm going to be standing in the shower two days later, and I'll still be kind of humming that tune. But it, it's actually the fun one. As a matter of fact, I, I've heard a couple of those. It's like I come back, for, I hear the song, there's some cover band or something doing the tune, and I find myself, you know, I'm at home at 8 o'clock in the evening, and I'm kind of humming that tune. It, it's that earworm. It's the song that you can't get out of your head. And that is what we're going to talk about on Pop Culture Corner this afternoon in honor of Summerfest 2018. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what is your earworm? It is the song that once you hear it, you're stuck for the next day or two because you can't get that tune out of your head. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, we've had really high call volume today, even though it's kind of a weird Friday afternoon. So my my advice would be, as I always say, um, we want to get to as many calls as we possibly can, so call quick. I also tell people not to overthink this. I mean, generally go with your first instinct. You know, that, that earworm, you think, gosh, you're right. I love that song. If I get it in my head, I'm stuck with it. 414-799-1620. Back with your calls and your texts in just a moment. It's 239. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest um, on News Radio 620 WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from Summerfest 2018. We're in the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. We're talking part of Pop Culture Corner. We're talking about earworms, those songs that you just can't get out of your head. And I, I have a confession. I, I have messed myself up big time because our, our text line is exploding. I, this entire—I'm ruining my entire weekend because all these songs that I'm seeing that people are suggesting—they are now going to be running through my head. Uh, here's a text: "Werewolves of London." Oh, Warren Zevon can't go wrong with that. Chris says the Pina Colada song. Yeah, that's if you like Pina Coladas. That's um, uh, Rupert Holmes. It's actually called Escape, but yeah, the Pina Colada song. That's it. Uh, Kyle and Walatosa says dancing in the moonlight um yeah that's uh, that's one as well uh, okay if i could turn back time yep um all right 414-799-1620 your earworm kathy in greenfield hi kathy you're first hi my earworm hi. song is abba dancing queen <laughs> <laughs> so once once you hear that, it's going to be stuck in your mind for the next three days, huh? I am the dancing queen, and I can't <laughs> stop smiling. You were uh, okay. So were you back? You were so back in disco. You were you were one of the, the big leaders on the floor, huh? Oh yeah, and I've seen Mamma Mia probably five times on Broadway. Eight times in the show house, and now Mamma Mia Two is out, and they better play Dancing Queen. Uh, that thanks for the call, Kathy. Dancing Queen is clearly an earworm. Sue in Heartland. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Welcome to the Hotel California. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. I, could, I rehearsed it at a bar down in Puerto Vallarta, and it was in my mind for like three or four. I would wake up in the middle of the night, and it'd be playing in my mind. Yeah. Isn't that, and see, and maybe this is just the weird way that my mind works, but I'll get one of these songs stuck in, and, and it won't come, it, it doesn't matter. I'll listen to a hundred other songs, and I'll still find myself humming, you know, yeah. uh, you know. in your case, it's the Eagles Hotel California, and that, you know, that's such a, you know, I'm, a lot of the stations I'm listening to on satellite radio, um, are, I've been playing that in, in rotation, you know, I mean, it, the original one, the, the nine-minute song version of that, and um, that that was an amazing song when that came out, it was amazing, it got radio play given how long it was yeah sure so but hotel make no hotel i'm I'm, now thank you sue thanks for the call and then thank you for that because that's now i'm I'm hearing that like the guitar riffs and the lead into that 414-799-1620 your earworm russell in brookfield russell you're on wtmj hello uh, one of the greatest songs of all time you can't always get what you want but you get what you need (laughs) by the rolling stones Oh, the production, you've got the choral in the background, and you've got the music, and you've got the words. It was initially sung on Ed Sullivan's show about 100 years ago when I was young, and uh, it's just a great song. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for the call. No, I, I think you can't always get what you want. Um, yes, there, there's no question about it. That would be, that would be one that... Um, Definitely would count. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, I have to say, put the lime in the coconut. <laughs> that was one. Kerry Nielsen, right? Yeah. Nielsen, right? Yep. Yeah. Put the... <laughs> this drives me nuts. I don't <laughs> yeah, really like the song. But... No, I, you know... I, it, I you know exactly to your to your point, Tom. I don't I don't really like that song either. But now that you've suggested it, I think it's going to be stuck in my mind for a good part of the weekend. So thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, thanks Joe. <laughs> no, thanks for the call. No, to put the lime in the coconut, drink it all up. That was on. That was listening. That was on the radio. I was listening to the other day too. Put the lime in the coconut. You drink it all up. Then you feel better. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Don't stop. But be- let's see. Mary Angela says, "Don't stop believing." Yeah, that would be one. Um, oh, Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline. That's John's e. Um, that's John's earworm. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, something. We've got uh, Lon that says Dreamweaver. Yeah, Dreamweaver would be another one. 414-799-1620. Your earworm, Patty in New Berlin. Hi, Patty. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Hi. I'm, I'm um, good. I'm winding down my time at Summerfest, so I'm always a little teary-eyed. But, okay, your earworm, what is it? Uh, it's a share tune, Do You Believe? Okay. It drives me out of my mind. Anytime I'm out somewhere and I hear it, it sticks in my head for three days, and I cannot stand that song. <laughs> Is, right? It's, isn't that the thing, too? Sometimes, I mean, a, a lot of times the earworms are, are tunes that you really like, but then they're, I hate this particular song. Why do I like it? Why can't I get it out of my head? <laughs> yeah, or something that you used to love when you were, like, 13 to 16, and I go, oh, my gosh, what kind of taste did and, I have back then? <laughs> right, then, then, then you, you kind of wonder, well, you know, it's I, I still carry around my, uh, my photo ID from when I turned 18, and my only defense is we all looked like that back when I turned 18. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, <laughs> thanks for the call, Pat. Yeah, so we, we all thought that, like, really long hair would look good, and leisure suits what a great look that was but again it was just kind of the uh it was kind of the time 414-799-1620 let's talk to um let's see 
Uh, Jason in Grafton. Jason, you're on WTMJ. In my call, Jeff. Hi, Jason. Uh, Mambo number five. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I just want to grab a mixed drink and just start partying. <laughs> well, that's that, that, that's a good thing about that. No, th- thanks for the call, Jason. I appreciate it. Uh, the, the reason I, I actually got, got stuck on, on this one is... Um, one of my favorite summer songs is also one of my earworms, and it's the old Van Morrison song that Jimmy Buffett now does as part of his show, Brown Eyed Girl. And I mean, I just absolutely love Brown Eyed Girl, and I've had it stuck in my head for the last two days. I was listening to the radio. I heard the original Van Morrison thing, and I mean, it's a perfect summer song. I, I love the song. I can't get it out of my head. Driving back from the Brewers game last night, I'm humming Brown Eyed Girl. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jason in Sheboygan. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Jason. My song is, and I don't even like it, never have, but if I hear it it's in my mind, um, Hanson's Mbop. I'll, I'll, I'll do it in the shower. I'll be just Mbop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> got it. <laughs> See, that's the first time. I, I think that's the, for probably the first time that, uh, like, like Hanson's umbop has made the, the show here. But I get it. That's the whole idea. Okay, let's see. Our text line is just exploding with different stuff. Um, Working for the Weekend by Loverboy. Yeah, that would be one. It's got a beat, and you can dance with it. Come Sail Away. Yeah, Come Sail Away is another thing that's there. Um, here's, let's see, Kyle says, Hey Jude, the outro has been stuck in my head since I was five years old. Well, that would be one of those tunes that would certainly do it. Wooly Bully by Sam the Sham. Yeah, that's another one that, uh, gosh, what's, yeah, whenever I watch the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, that's the one of like the closing tunes. They're at the, the party at the end, and I'll see that, and then again for the next 24 hours, I'll have Wooly Bully in my mind. Um, let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. For, uh, for me, commercials is what really gets the earworms in my head, and I think <laughs> the best example is the American Family Insurance commercial that has gotten both the Mumford & Sons song with a humming in my head and the lovely day one with uh, Jennifer Hudson singing with that street performer. Yeah, I tell you, and you know you're really in trouble when it's a commercial jingle that's stuck in your head. Yeah, the, the jingles get get in there, too, and then also purposely <laughs> listen to, to a, a different song to try and get rid of it. Right, right. thanks for the call, yeah. that That's always, that's always one that's going to get your attention. Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, uh, another one bites the dust, whether the, when the Brewers win or... You're going to somebody's oh. wedding, another one bites the dust, huh? Uh, y- yeah, no, no, thanks for the call. No question about it. Another one bites the dust would be, again, one of those ones that people could, could pick up and it sticks with. Tom and Aaron. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. Okay, lost Tom. 414-799-1620. Time for just a couple more. Tom was going to say, and and I'm actually, it's Viva Las Vegas. And Viva Las Vegas is another earworm of mine. That will get stuck in my head, and I will be thinking of that for the rest of the weekend, too. John in Germantown. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. It's John, your favorite cousin sub guy. Yes, uh, sir. Oh, hi, John. Hey, hey, Nikki, you're so fine. Can't. (laughs) <laughs> Damn it, but six 
like glue. <laughs> hey, yeah. Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> yeah. I, th- right, it's interesting that of all the different songs, thanks for the call, John. It's interesting of all the different songs that that would be one that you would focus on. Uh, Don't worry, be happy. Yeah, that would be kind of an earworm potential there as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the doors. People are strange. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple. You know, and I'll tell you some of the other earworms that are out there. Um, what was it? It was um, either the Fourth of July or the Third of July. Maybe the Fourth. I, I was watching. There were a couple documentaries about the Beach Boys. Pretty much any Beach Boys tune that, that's like one of the upbeat ones. That's that is an earworm for me. You know, whether it's you know Surf and Safari or you you name it. You know, California Girls. It, once I get those stuck in my head, they are there forever. But. If we've shared a couple, that's great. Got a lot of emails and a lot of texts. I'm sorry we couldn't get to, but I thought this was a kind of a fun way for me to wrap up Summerfest 2018. You know, those tunes that you just can't get out of your head. And if I put a couple in your head that you're not going to be able to stop thinking about for another couple days, well, you're welcome. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what Scott Warris and Melissa Barkley have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 2.53. This is Jeff Wagner.